Ephesians chapter 3. And so we'll ask you, if you will, to open your Bibles there and be ready to read with us and study along with us in just a moment. And while you're opening your Bible and getting set, it is my pleasure to welcome all of you tonight. If you should be visiting with this church family this evening, as I am this week, we especially welcome you. So happy that you've come our way. Hope you had a good Sunday afternoon. We had a wonderful uh, gathering today. I always enjoy that very much. Each time I've been here, we've had a similar gathering, and that's always very pleasant. It was uh, wonderful to uh, renew acquaintance with so many of you this morning and to make acquaintance with some of you for the very first time, and I enjoyed that very, very much. What a fine time for us to be together. What a wonderful morning of worship. appreciate all who helped us worship this morning in such a fine, fine way. I, um, I've been with this congregation, I believe, three times before, and have always enjoyed my time here very, very much, and have kept in touch in a peripheral kind of way with, with you all, and uh, know that good things have happened <clears throat> among you, and I'm very grateful for that. I want to say uh, just a word tonight before we, before we begin. Uh, this congregation, Vicki and I, my wife Vicki and I, owe, uh, we owe a debt to you and to your, to your shepherds. In uh, 2019, of the beginning of 2019, my wife, Vicki, began to experience uh, multiple health difficulties that began to build and build and build on each other. She was hospitalized multiple times in 2019, and she was hospitalized in 2020 five times in the first six months of the year. Uh, she was gravely ill. Uh, there were occasions... Uh, it's not that one this time. All right. That's somebody else. There were... There were occasions during that period in the hospital that uh, the doctors told me to tell her goodbye and she was probably not going to survive. And so we went through a very, very dark, about a 20-month period. And uh, it was during that time that uh, your shepherds uh, very graciously and generously provided some very much-needed help to Vicki and me. And we are indebted and grateful for their compassionate hearts and for their open hands because it made a huge difference to us. and We will be forever grateful for that. And I would imagine that probably most of you are unaware of that, and yet I want you to know how very kind your shepherds were and how very good they were to Vicki and me. And so we owe you. We owe you a debt of gratitude, and we are very grateful for this good church family. I want us to talk for just a few minutes tonight, <clears throat> as you can see in the handout that I gave you. I want to talk just a little bit tonight about some things having to do with prayer. And I, I know that when we, when we say we want to talk about prayer, that, that I think probably it just hits us in a way where we think, well, you know what, Don, we have, we have talked about that a thousand times. What, what else is there to say about that? We have grown up praying and we pray in our lives, and so what, what could possibly be left to be said? And I want you tonight, if you will, please, to, to think about this with me, and let's try to think about it tonight through fresh eyes as we look at prayer through the eyes of the Apostle Paul as he speaks about it in the book of Ephesians. In particular, although there is a great prayer in chapter 1 and 1 in chapter 3, we are going to look for tonight at the 1 in chapter 3. I want to begin with a question with you tonight, if I may, and that is I want to ask you, how did you learn to pray? I want you to think about that. How did you learn to pray? Now, research indicates by the Pew Research Company that, that 80% of Americans claim that they pray. Even though we live in a secular nation, 80% of Americans claim 
that they pray. Now, some pray better than others, obviously, and some would pray longer than others, obviously, but most Americans say that they pray. So I want to ask you, how did you learn to pray? I mean, did you take a class on prayer? Did you read a book about prayer? Did you read a tract or a pamphlet about prayer? How did you learn to pray? Well, I would imagine that for most all of us, we probably watched somebody else pray and listened to somebody else pray, and we liked what we heard, and so we began to emulate that in the way that we prayed. And so, probably all of us, we had somebody in our life. Now, that may have been a mom and dad, and probably began right there with a mom and dad, or maybe grandparents, or maybe an elder in the church where we grew up, or our preacher, or maybe somebody else, a friend, and we heard them pray, and we liked what we heard, and we, without even thinking about it, perhaps began to adopt the language that they used when they prayed. And for most of us, that's probably how we learn to pray. Prayer is more caught, I think, than it is, in fact, taught. We do that in a variety of venues. We tend to mimic things that we hear, don't we? Children do that with their parents. We all do that with our parents. In so many ways, we become our parents. I was walking in downtown Tampa. I had gotten a new pair of glasses in downtown Tampa at an optical place there, and I got my glasses, and I was walking back to my car, and I was going through one of those huge buildings in downtown Tampa that has all plate glass windows, and I looked in the, I looked in the plate glass window, and I thought, wow, that old man looks like my dad. That was me. <laughs> that was just me. And <clears throat> we do kind of turn into our parents. We, we get their mannerisms and their vocal patterns. And it's not that we sit down and we watch a video and listen to the tape of how they speak. It's just that naturally we emulate what we hear. And I think in many ways we do that with prayer as well. It's why you can travel to most any part of these United States, worship with any of our brethren, and you will hear much of the same terminology in prayer. Why is that? Well, it's because we've always heard that kind of growing up and then through our adult lives. I can easily illustrate for you, I think, how strong prayer modeling is. I want to ask you a question. I want you to raise your hand. This is you. I want to know how many of you, when you pray, you close your eyes. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. See, that's all of us, right? We, we do that. Well, why do we do that? How many times, how many times is closing your eyes in prayer modeled in Scripture? Well, to my knowledge, zero. To my knowledge, not once. So why do we do that? Well, because it's what we were taught. It's what we saw. It's what we saw our moms and dads do. If we were not, if we didn't grow up in a Christian home, it's what we saw Christians do and began to worship with them. And we do it because it works, right? It helps focus our mind. And so it's a very good thing to help us concentrate and stay focused. But the point of that is, that was modeled for us, and it is modeled, and we have picked up on that. Those are prayer patterns. And there's some really good news, and there's some bad news about prayer patterns. Here's the good news. The good news is that prayer patterns can bring people together. And what I mean by that is that we hear certain phrases, and sometimes it reminds us of individuals that we have been close to, and that's a very good feeling. For example, <clears throat> my, uh, my dad, when I was growing up, every public prayer that I ever heard my dad pray, he ended it in a certain way. And so when I, when I do that, when I am praying and I end a prayer like my dad did, it, it just reminds me of that tie that I, that I had with him. And we all do that, I think, from time to time with individuals, with things that we things that we hear. Now the bad news about prayer patterns is that they can become prayer ruts. If we're not careful, prayer patterns can become 
prayer rests, where we just begin saying the same thing over and over and over again without an awful lot of thought or heart behind it, where we're just kind of going through the motions. This is what we say when we offer this particular kind of prayer. If you want a little test, I think there's a pretty good test for that. How can you know? How can you know if you're kind of in a prayer rut? If you're just kind of stuck in a rut in regard to prayer? Well, I think there were several things you might think about. Maybe one is we repeat phrases robotically, that is, without even thinking about them. Have you ever, uh, have you ever been driving out in West, West Texas where it is just wide open space and you just can go for miles and miles and not really see anything at all? Have you ever been driving in a, in an, a place like that and you realize you kind of wake up and come to yourself and realize, I haven't thought about driving for about the last 10 minutes, but you're okay. Well, what have you done? Well, you've just kind of been in a zone there where you're driving, but you're not really thinking about what you are doing. We can do that with prayer as well. If we're not careful, particularly in our prayers in our mind to God, if we're not careful, we can just begin to think about the phrases that we typically offer without putting a lot of heart in that. And of course, that's a danger. Secondly, is when you have little desire to pray, where, <clears throat> where prayer becomes a duty rather than a devotion. In fact, where it maybe even gets to the point that it begins to feel like work instead of a relationship where you're having conversation with your father where it really seems more like work. Or maybe it is that you pray, but it seems pointless. And maybe sometimes we feel like Jeremiah in Lamentations 1 and beginning of verse 3 where Jeremiah said, you know God, it just seems like that you have put a ceiling over the heaven and so the prayer does not even get through to you. Well, probably all of us at some point in time can probably see ourselves a little bit maybe in one or more of those things. But here's the great thing about that, ladies and gentlemen. Nobody has to stay there. Nobody has to stay there. Falling into a prayer rut is somewhat normal. But staying there is optional. We can renew ourselves in our prayer life. God gives us the ability, of course, to do that. And so if you're there tonight, if you, if you looked at that list and you thought, you know what, that really is me. One or more of those areas. That's, that's kind of me in my prayer life with God. Don't despair. That happens to most everybody, but we can all do something about that. And so let's think about that for just a minute tonight. I want you to read with me this passage on the screen, if you will, where Paul says, listen, I want you to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And look at what he says. I want you to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. There's a phrase that is embedded in those two verses that I want us to think about for just a second where Paul says, I want you to pray with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests. You ever thought about that? Paul says, look, there are all kinds of prayers you can pray. There are all kinds of requests that you can make to God. And I want you to think about and use all of those kinds of prayers when you pray to God. Somebody says, well, Don, how many kinds of prayers are there? Well, there are a lot. Remember that Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy, at 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1, and he says, I would, therefore, that prayer and supplication and intercession and giving of thanks be made for all men. So there are four kinds of prayers right there. Prayer, a very generic word for prayer, and supplication, and intercession, and giving of thanks. Or maybe you've been in a Bible class or heard in a sermon about 
the acts acrostic, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So there are four kinds of prayers right there. And Paul says, look, there are all kinds of prayers. I want you to pray to God with all kinds of prayers. Think about it this way. In a, uh, in a, in a golf bag, there are all kinds of different clubs. There's not just one club in a golf bag. All different kinds of clubs. And so if <clears throat> you, you use a driver for one thing, but you don't use a driver to putt. You don't use a putter to drive. And if you're in a sand trap, that requires another kind of club. And if you're making an approach shot from a, from a shorter distance, well, that, that requires a different kind of club as well. And the point of that is that when you golf, you've got all these clubs in the back, and you use them for the different circumstances that you find yourself in. And in many ways, I think prayer is like that. One of the reasons why Paul says, look, I want you to make all kinds of prayers and requests is because life isn't static. We don't just stay in the same place. And so, for example, a prayer to God when you have just received the greatest promotion at work that you could ever imagine is going to be much different than a prayer offered by someone who has just lost their job. Or, for example, a prayer for a rebellious child and you're praying for them in their soul is going to be much different than the prayer that you would offer to God if your child has just been baptized into Christ. Or, when we were going back going through COVID, in the heart of all that, a prayer to be protected from COVID would be much different than a prayer when you have COVID and you're very sick, and you're asking God to help you heal and recover from that. The problem with a prayer rut is that really we just use one club, one prayer. And we pray that prayer over and over and over again. And we forget that there are other kinds of prayers and other kinds of ways that we can pray to God. The good news again about that is that old prayer patterns can be erased with new prayer models. Let me say that again. Old prayer patterns can be erased with new prayer models. Again, like like a golf bag with different clubs. There are all different kinds of prayers, all different postures for prayer, all different kinds of requests that we can make from God. And here's what I've discovered about prayer. What I've discovered about prayer is that I don't pray much like the Apostle Paul, and I should. At Temple Terrace, where I preach, every few years, I teach in one of our Bible classes, I teach a class on prayer. And so I have 22 class periods, and 22 class periods on prayer. And there's a section of that where we talk about the prayers of the Apostle Paul. And every time I go through that, I'm convicted that I don't pray an awful lot like the Apostle Paul does. I need to pray that way, but I really don't often pray that way. I want you to think about that this way. I want to ask you tonight, what are the the top three things that you pray about? If If you were to sit down and think about that and analyze that a little bit, What are the top three things that you pray to God about? Well, probably for most of us, it might be something about our health. Maybe it'd be something about our children or grandchildren. Maybe it'd be something about our finances. Maybe it would be something about our our job. Probably, Probably most of us, one or two of those things would be in the top things that we continually pray to God about. In the book of Ephesians, I want you to look at the screen and look at, look at what Paul says that he prayed about. 
So Paul talks about that and he says, here's, here's what I've been praying about. I've been praying for a spirit of wisdom and knowledge of the will of God and strength for our inner being. And I've been praying for discernment and an increased knowledge of God himself. And I've been praying, he says, for help in comprehending the width and length and height and depth of the love of God. I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I look at that and I have to ask, you know, Don, how many, how many of those things are regularly in your prayer life? And I must honestly say to you, those are not the things that I typically pray for. I think for all of us, the challenge is that our prayers not simply become kind of a Christmas list to God on a daily basis. Where in our prayers, we, <clears throat> we say, well, thank you, God, thank you for the day, and thank you for the good things that you've given us. And now, God, here's what I'd like today. I've thought about that when my, uh, <clears throat> when my son Josh was in college. Josh was up at Western Kentucky in college, and I, I, I was doing some work about prayer, and I thought, you know, how would I feel, how would I feel if, I, <clears throat> if, Josh, if Josh called me? And I said, Josh, it's good to hear from you. He says, well, Dad, it's good to talk to you too. How are you doing? Well, you're doing fine. How are you? Well, I'm good. And then if Josh were to say to me, Dad, I really appreciate, really appreciate what you sent me last week. That was very helpful. Well, you're welcome, son. I was glad to do that. And now, Dad, here's my list for this week of what I want. Well, I probably wouldn't take to that very kindly. And I wonder sometimes if that's the way my prayers sound to God. I wonder if, if God sometimes listens to Don pray to him, and, and, and I'm, I'm kind of getting this rut where I say, God, thank you for the day, thank you for the good things you've given me, and now, God, I'd like to ask you for A, B, C, and D. Now, don't misunderstand me. We have every right. Paul said that, didn't he? I want you to pray with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of, what was his other word? Requests. And so we have a right to do that. We can make requests to God. God says, I want you to make supplication of me. I want you to intercede on behalf of others. You can pray about that. You can ask about that. But what I learned from the Apostle Paul is that there is more to prayer than just that. And I wonder sometimes if we don't fail perhaps to realize that as much as we should. You have your Bible? Let's read a little bit in Ephesians chapter 3. There's a wonderful, wonderful prayer of the Apostle Paul in chapter 1. I would encourage you to read it and carefully. It's a, it's a wonderful prayer that he makes. But I want us to focus tonight on Ephesians 3. And here's where it begins, beginning in verse number 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we've got to stop there for just a second because he begins it by saying, It is for this reason that I bow to God in prayer. Well, what is the for this reason? Well, it's everything that he's been talking about in the book of Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, so far, in chapters 1 and 2 and thus far into chapter 3, he's really been talking about a couple of important things. One, in chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, that we individually have redemption redemption and right relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. But then also he talks about, in Ephesians chapter 2, and beginning in verse 14, he talks about what Christ has done. And he says, Christ is our peace. He has made both one. He has broken down the middle wall of separation. He has abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments and contained in ordinances. And he created in himself one new man from two. 
And in so doing, he made peace. Don't miss that, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus Christ came to restore a broken humanity, to take away differences that don't make any differences to God. And so he says, look, there is no more Jew and Gentile, black and white, male, female, young, old, blue-collar, white-collar, rich, poor. There are no more longhorns and, and, and Aggies in the sight of God. We are all one in Christ. And after he talks about all of that, he says, it is for this reason that I bow my knees to God and pray the things that I pray for you. And here's what he prays. Do you have your Bible? Ephesians 3, beginning verse 14 again. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named. And he says, I pray that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in your inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height of the love of Christ that passes knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And it is to God who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to His power that works in us, to whom be glory in the church through Jesus Christ for all generations forever and ever and amen i want you to notice ladies and gentlemen a couple of things about this prayer if you will this is an amazing prayer first and foremost it's a prayer for god's power to come to bear on this world and in our lives he begins by talking about that i'm bowing my knees to god and god could do something god can answer god is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we have ever asked and all that we've ever thought have you ever tried to wrap your mind around the power of God Almighty. You know, the titles of God. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is the, 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 host, <clears throat> the Lord of the hosts of heaven. Over and over again, the Bible tries to impress upon us the power of God. But, but how can a finite mind even begin to fathom the infinite power of God? Louis Giglio, in one of his writings, tries to, tries to talk about how a human mind can, can, can use imagery to try to grasp something of the, the power of God. And he suggests in one of his writings, he said, maybe, maybe what would help us is to, is to think about the universe as a measuring stick. Because we can, we can get a little visualization, at least of, of the earth. I want you to visualize how big the earth is. And we can do that. We've seen pictures of the earth from space. And so we see our little blue ball, our little blue planet. And so Guglio says, look, just envision how big the earth is. Well, to us, it's extremely big. But of course, compared to the sun, our earth is just minuscule. In fact, you could fit 1.3 million earths, planet earths, into our sun. But the sun is certainly not the biggest star in the universe. The biggest star in the universe is Canis Majoris. Think about that name. Big dog. Canis dog. This is the big dog. And this is the big dog in, in so far as suns are concerned. And it's interesting about Canis Majoris. It is absolutely massive. In fact, it is said that four quadrillion Earths could fit in Canis Majoris. I don't understand quadrillions. I'm, I'm not that good at math anyway. 
So I had to look it up. You can Google it, right? So a quadrillion is, <clears throat> there are one million billions in a quadrillion. Did that clarify that for you? <clears throat> what, what that is saying is that it is enormous, enormous. Guglio tried to represent it this way. He said, imagine the state of Texas, the great state of Texas. And he said, imagine the state of Texas is covered every square inch with golf balls. And the golf balls go down four feet over the entire state of Texas. And he said, if you could tick out one of those golf balls, that would be the planet Earth compared to Canis Majoris. And here's the point that he was trying to make in that. The point that he was making in that is that we pray to the God who created Canis Majoris. No wonder Paul said in Ephesians 3 and beginning in verse 20, our God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above, listen to what he said, anything that you have ever thought. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. No wonder in Isaiah 66, God said, look, the earth, the earth is my footstool. No wonder the Bible says there's anything too hard for God. No wonder the Bible says, look, with man this might be impossible, but nothing shall be impossible to God. This is the immense and amazing power of God. And Paul says, look, I want you to understand something about that. That God wants to use that power on your behalf and for your good. And so he says, I, I'm praying to God that He will deposit that in your inner being. And that's what he says, isn't it, in Ephesians 3, <clears throat> beginning in verse 16, that you will be strengthened by might in your inner being. What does he mean by that? In your inner being. You know, in Greek thought, there was an outer man and, and an inner man. And so Paul, I think, is, is picking up on that. He's talking about that. The outer man, you could see. We can see our outer man, right? We can see our physical bodies. And really, in American culture today, in 2020, everything is about the outer man. Virtually every commercial that you see, every advertisement that you hear so many things that you see online what are they about well they are about how you can enhance your outer man you need to take care of the outer man make the outer man look better there's nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with that at all but let me tell you even if your outer man if you are as strong if you're as strong and mighty and powerful as the incredible hope and if you have all the money of bill gates but you don't have any strength in your inner man, your life is going to be a mess. And so Paul says, I'm praying that God will not do so much with your outer man as your inner man, your thoughts, your feelings, your belief, your heart, your soul. Listen to what he said. We do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day day the outward man is perishing isn't it <clears throat> we see that now we often don't see that in ourselves do we but the good news is other people will be kind enough to point that out to us and so you know there have been a few of you who have said to me already today well you know what Don? you you've got more gray hair and more wrinkles than you when you were here last time well thank you for noticing thanks for pointing that out could I just ask you something? Have you looked in the mirror in the last four years? Because probably you don't look exactly the same either. The outward man is perishing. We all understand that. Think about this with the Apostle Paul. 
by this point in time in his life, by the end of his third missionary journey, his outer man had to be a wreck. No wonder he would say, the outward man is perishing. He wrote to the Corinthians and he said, look, here's what I've been through. I have received 195 stripes. I've been beaten with rods three times. I have been stoned. That was capital punishment. He somehow survived that. He said, I've been stoned, left for dead, and I lived through that. By this point in time in his life, his physical body had to be absolutely decimated. And yet he said, my inward man, where God can renew and strengthen me, is renewed day by day. And so he was saying that the love and the grace and the mercy and the power and the hope of God every day could be renewed with him, <clears throat> within him. And it can be with us as well. Because, ladies and gentlemen, you and I are more than a physical body. We have a heart and a soul and we need to pray God's power into that. And that's exactly what Paul does. I am praying God's power into your inner being. Now let me tell you, here's the great news about that. Your inner being cannot be destroyed. COVID cannot destroy your inner being. <clears throat> Regret cannot destroy your inner being. Memory loss cannot destroy your inner being. Age cannot destroy your inner being. In a dysfunctional relationship, it cannot destroy your inner being. That can be renewed by God every single day. And all of that, Paul says, happens through the presence of Jesus Christ. I mean, listen to what he says. I'm praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may come to comprehend these things. But I want you to notice he's saying all of this happens because Christ dwells in you. You ever think about that? Christ dwells in Paul is saying, I am praying to God that His power will come into your inner being and that through Christ He will dwell in your hearts through faith point of that is not to make your life easier he doesn't pray in this passage i'm praying to god that it will make your life easy he said i'm praying to god i'm praying to god that christ will come and dwell in your hearts through faith and somebody says well don i thought i thought when i became a christian christ did come and dwell in my heart well he did he did absolutely there is no denying that but the word dwell that Paul uses here is an interesting word because it means to, <clears throat> it means to fill, fill to completion. It is, uh, it is the idea of inhabiting a space. He's saying, I'm praying that he will completely, totally inhabit your heart. Think about it this way. You ever get any spray insulation? You ever had something where you had to go to the hardware store and get some spray insulation? What happens when you take that spray insulation and you that foam insula- and you spray it a little bit? Does it stay just kind of a liquid little glob right there? No. What does it do? It puffs up. It fills every little crevice of whatever it is that you're filling. And that's the word that Paul uses here. He's saying, I'm praying that Christ will come and this is what He will do in your heart. He will fill all of it. When we talk about being all in, that's what Paul is praying, that he will occupy every single space of your heart and soul and mind. And he will be so alive in you, ladies and gentlemen, that everything you do will be filtered through him. So let me say it again. The point of this is to unleash the presence of Christ in your heart. Why? Because that will change everything. 
when Christ inhabits every inch of your heart, where everything in your life is filtered through the lens of Jesus Christ, it changes you. Paul talked to the Colossians and he said, I want Christ to be in you, the hope of glory. You know why? Because if Christ is in you, it will change you. If you have love in you, it will change you. If you have hatred in you, it will change you. If you have a disease in you, it will change you. We understand that. And Paul is saying, I want Christ to be in you. Because if He inhabits every single space of your heart, it will change you. Imagine, ladies and gentlemen, if the presence of Jesus Christ and the power of God were unleashed in the church and in the world, what would happen? Racism would die. Abuse would die. Hatred would die. All the things that God never intended to be in His creation would die because now Christ would be in our world. So here's the point as we close tonight. The point of it is that world change begins with heart change. And heart change always begins with prayer. I want you to think about that with me. Before you put everything away tonight, just, just track with me for one more minute if you will. World change begins with heart change. World change, whether we're talking about world in the, <clears throat> in, the, in, in the global sense, or whether we're just talking about your world, where you do life, that begins with heart change. And heart change begins with prayer. And so Paul is arguing in Ephesians 3 that prayer, prayer should be for the Christian always the first option, not the last resort. Not long ago in our church family, I taught some lessons from the book of Nehemiah. What a great, what a great message that is about building among the people of God. As we, came out of, as we came out of COVID, I taught some lessons about rise and build and trying to rebuild after so much was taken away during that, that very dark period. In the book of Nehemiah, of course, the story is that <clears throat> Nehemiah's heart breaks for his homeland, even though, even though he's never been there. He's serving, he's serving Artaxerxes, he's serving, he's serving the king. And he, he knows what he wants. He, he knows that he wants to go because he feels this burden on his heart to go and to help his people and to build the city, and to rebuild the city of God. He's standing before the king and the king recognizes that his countenance is different. And so in Nehemiah 2 and beginning in verse 8, the king said to me, what would you request? And listen to these words. Nehemiah said, So I prayed to the God of heaven. So I prayed to the God of heaven. I believe that those may be the most important eight words in the entirety of the book of Nehemiah. Because before Nehemiah responded to the king, he prayed to the God of heaven. And the text doesn't imply that he said to the king, look, I, I need a moment. If I could just step out for just a second here. It <clears throat> doesn't imply that he went to another room and he prayed for a little while and then came back. He knew what he wanted already. He knew exactly what he wanted and what he was going to ask. But right there in the middle of a conversation, Nehemiah prayed. It is the very definition of an arrow prayer. That is a prayer that is shot from your mind to the very heart of God. What a great lesson is found in those simple words. So I prayed to the God of heaven think about it ladies and gentlemen think about think about how it would change your day if you could remember 
that as Nehemiah did, in the midst of a circumstance, whatever it is, in the midst of a conversation, to pray right then and right there to the God of heaven. And so maybe that's during a meeting at work when some important decisions are going to be made and your input is being sought, that before you answer, you shoot an arrow prayer to God and you pray to the God of heaven. Or maybe it is that before you go into a room, you're going to talk to a child, a serious conversation with a child about a serious matter. If you just pray to the God of heaven, or maybe if you're sitting in the exam room and you're waiting for the doctor to come in and you just pray to the God of heaven, or maybe before you and your spouse, again, have a serious conversation about a serious matter, if you just pray to the God of heaven, Praying in these circumstances, in Nehemiah experience, brings God into our lives and brings God into the circumstance. Nehemiah knew exactly what he wanted. He knew exactly what he was going to ask for. And yet before he opened his mouth, he shot a prayer to God. I prayed to the God of heaven. Could I just encourage you to try Nehemiah's approach today? Pray before you speak. Pray before you answer someone. Pray before you text or before you send the email. Pray pray before you talk to your spouse or to your boss or to the kids. Short prayers, specific prayers. Prayers to help you know what to say and, and how to say it. Prayer to open the heart of another person. Prayer to open your own heart. Prayer to listen. Prayer for strength. Prayer that all will understand. Prayer for your attitude. So I pray to the God of heaven because those eight words can change everything. Every good thing in the book of Nehemiah happened after Nehemiah 2 and verse 8. And so the walls were built. The king was granted, granted permission. Nehemiah, Nehemiah led. The word of God was read. Worship was restored. But before all of those things, Nehemiah prayed to the God of heaven. No wonder Paul said. For this reason, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I am praying for you, that you will be strengthened through His Spirit in the inner man by God's might, and that you'll be rooted and grounded in love. And then the final thing that he prays, he prays in verse 18. And he says, I am praying that you will be able to understand some things about the love of God. He said, I'm praying that you will understand something about the width and length and height and depth of the love of God. Have you ever thought about those words? God's love, ladies and gentlemen, is wide enough to include everyone. Whosoever will may come. God's word is long enough to last every day. That's hard for us to understand sometimes because... Most of us have experienced a love that did not last, but God's love is not like human love. It will last and last and last. And God's love is high enough to cover everything. No matter what you've done, God's love is high enough to cover it. And God's love is deep enough to be anywhere. And so tonight, whatever it is that you're under, Please understand that God's love is with you there. So how about you tonight? I want to ask you tonight as we close, have you experienced the width and length and height and depth of the love of God? If you're not a Christian, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done. 
it matters that you've not made it right with God. But it doesn't matter in the sense that God's love is high enough to cover that, if you'll let him. And if you're a Christian and you've walked away from that, and you've walked away from that, that kind of protection of, of God's might being with you and Christ dwelling with you, don't you want that back tonight? Again, whatever you've done, God's love is high enough to make provision for it to be forgiven. And so if that's you tonight, you need to be baptized into Christ, or if you need to come home to your Father, this invitation's for you. Let's stand and let's sing.